I just want to say to people, continue to be active in politics, continue to read things. You can't go back to not being active in politics or not caring about policies. So once you add time limits for justices, you're effectively turning justices into politicians. I like talking politics with you. I know. I love it. Okay, let me put it. I can just stop. Because <laughs> everybody else is tired of me. Hello and welcome to season three of Conversations with Kumi. This season, we'll be having discussions in relation to the UK, from politics to social issues. In the next coming weeks in the UK, the London mayoral election and local elections will be taking place. The Scottish independent referendum is also back in the political sphere. Scotland will also be heading to the polls and will Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP, the Scottish National Party, win a majority to convince Westminster to hold a second referendum? Well, this will make for a very good political discussion. As I record, Her Majesty's government, the UK government, have just published the Race and Ethnicity Disparity Report. In our very first episode this season, we'll take a deep dive into it. So please stay tuned, comment and subscribe, and also let us know of any topic you would like us to discuss. Stay tuned! Hello everybody and welcome back to Conversations with Kumi. Um, Yeah, we've been on a break and we're back um there's been a lot going on going on in the united kingdom specifically england specifically westminster um yeah a lot has happened since we last recorded matt hancock has resigned as the health secretary um if you don't know what happened i suggest you go and look on the southern website he was found doing hanky panky behaving like a year nine person who has just met a girl for the first time um, yeah, so he's he broke um, COVID protocol, which he said, and he should have been following. Um, obviously, he was involved in extramarital affairs. Um, really, that's not my business, but I would think as a conservative MP, he should probably respect the sanctity of marriage. But like I said, it's none of my business. Um, we have my two favorite people back on the podcast. We have Falari and Ade. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. So hi guys. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well. Um, a lot has been happening in UK politics recently. I was just talking about Matt Hancock. Um, Big Matt. Big Matt around town. I can't believe you actually left his wife. No, no, hold on, mate. I, I'm still confused by the arrogance to tell your wife I'm leaving you when when you've been caught cheating honestly that's serious nigerian man energy <laughs> you have to like you allowed in the uk he probably have brought that big home with him <laughs> anytime i walk past olivier bonas now i'm always just like wow honestly honestly like how i mean listen all sorts of weird things happen for love but i'm sorry to leave to but leave your husband from matt hancock I heard that Matt Hancock had always like fancied her. Like they went to university together, but obviously she was above his league in university. My guy became health secretary, you know, government position. That man has a face only a, only a mother can love. And even his mother, mother can love him. I'm sorry, he doesn't have a personality anybody can love either. So it's not like 
It's not like it's just the thing. His wife is like the daughter of like an eighth baron of something as well. Isn't that what they always do? As in... The conservatives are the kings and queens of marrying up. I've never met him ah. in this thing. I guess it's actually just British politicians in general, actually. You can actually... Is that not just like the upper class in general? But no, it's yeah. not common in England, to be honest. In the UK. Yeah. Anyway... Um, also, um, so yeah, welcome to our season finale of uh, the season, season three. Um, yeah, um, I thought the title, I've been thinking of what the topic should be, and I thought maybe we should title it, um, How Did the Tories Get This Wrong? Or Are the Tories Finally Losing Their Culture War? <coughs> And I'll start with that, with all the events that have happened in the last three weeks, um, in terms of obviously England made it to um, the first final since 1966. Unfortunately, they lost, and um, it was three, four, no, was it three, four, four, five in penalty? Uh, five, three, five, three, I think. I no, think it was four, three, yeah, which is like one. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Bukayo Saka missed the last, um, missed the last penalty. Um, Marcus Rashford missed a penalty, and William Sancho, three black boys, the three black men of the um, of the uh, England team. And obviously, um, what followed afterwards was what I think a lot of black people in this country would have expected: yep. um, a slaughter of racist <laughs> attacks on them, and. I yeah, want to was the son of the mill, which that's what shocked me the most. The what? The son of the mill didn't slaughter them the next day. I mean, yes, that's because everybody knew that was going to happen. And everybody, yeah. They knew that they were going to be like, you know. They knew they couldn't get away with it. We're getting yeah. into a strange time where it feels Marcus, like. Yeah. And then Marcus Rashford yesterday actually issued a statement on Twitter because Taylor was going to come out with, a, with an article relating to his endorsement and stuff. And they still haven't. I haven't seen the answer. They, they didn't drop it because he released because he released the statement telling them that. Yeah, basically, basically. I mean, this is the thing. This is the thing because most people obviously they get um, they get a heads up about oh we're gonna write a story about That's you blah blah, blah blah blah, and most people just say oh okay I'll wait till the story comes out and I'll defend myself in the public eye. But listen, the way Marcus Rashford actually moved on this thing, I'm so impressed. I don't know who's advising him. Um, I don't know how much of it came from his own kind of call, but that was just perfectly executed, like absolutely perfectly executed. Yeah. He killed the story so simply. It literally became a, it doesn't really matter what, why, you're, why you're talking about. Because when he was like, I'm a, Brit, I'm a Manchester United and an England international. Like, who, why are you talking about what he makes and how he makes? It makes no sense. You can't say he's using endorsements to build his brand because his brand is already mm -hmm. just It's that. because of the brand that he's getting the endorsements in the first place. <laughs> and wasn't he was like in the Times 100 uh, richest list of people who gave so number one. Number one, he gave out 125%. He generated 125. Yeah. I, it's, it, things like that are funny because, because he's doing it as a core... It's a cool this thing. Since he's linking up with brands that have way more money than he does, basically, and he's using that to give it away, he he's getting a lot more money than he actually has as well. So he basically mm. generated twenty million, and he's worth like sixteen. So mm. 
he gave part of his own money, but it was because it was maxed by someone else, it yeah. multiplied it. Yeah, uh, thank you for explaining that. I just wanted, so why I even brought this up uh, has to do with your government. Uh, the next day, um, ooh, Pretty Patel coming out. Pretty Patel's nonsense and Iron Mix. By the racist attacks. And of course, um, uh, what is the West Ham players like? Like literally, was like Tyrone Mings. He's an Aston Villa player. Aston Villa. Sorry, Aston. The Villa. captain of Aston. Of, actually, not the captain. Greenish is the captain, but he's uh, this thing, and he's also a uh, you know person of color. Yeah. And, and he did exactly what I've been expecting people to do since, and they just don't. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest miscalculation that the Tories made is the fact that. Britain, there's three sports in Britain that people count as important. Rugby, cricket, football. And they are generally very tribal. If you go up against any of those sportsmen, they, the, the others are generally cyclical. Wimbledon, then they care about the British, the British person that's suddenly doing well, but they don't really care 90% of the time. They like Andy Murray because he seemed like he was actually going to be a big, big superstar. And I mean, he was ish for a point, but he was never you know, federal or anything. But they made they decided to make the mistake of thinking they could do the empty words nonsense where you say your rubbish and everybody claps for you and goes, Oh, bravo, you know, fighting racism, you're doing well. As if we'd forgotten the fact that just three weeks earlier they were acting like the same players who were kneeling and they, they were literally insulting the players and saying they were playing politics and, and they should just shut up and kick a ball. Yeah, um, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, um, yeah, Theresa May basically was like, oh, she does not, uh, not Theresa May, sorry, pretty good girl. I mean, but if we're being honest, like, what's the real difference between them apart from age, height, and color? And white entitlement. Like, that's uh, like, come on. <laughs> yeah, um, pretty Patel, the home secretary, when she said that she, um, uh, the fans had. It was their choice to rule, and that she doesn't believe in gesture politics um, and etc. etc. And it was very interesting after that, um, the whole taking the knee thing. What followed afterwards was um, I remember um, Stephen Baker, if you don't know him, I think is a um, MP for High Wycombe. He used to be part of the, um, the ESG, the European Research Group of the Tory Party, the Conservative Party. And it was, he's an ardent um, Brexiteer as well. And we came up with a letter being like, yeah, guys, um, you're getting this totally wrong. Um, if you can find the letter, um, you should read it. But he was basically telling them that they got this wrong and they should be telling people about taking the, um, associating taking the knee with, uh, you know, um, they should understand why the players are taking the knee. And I thought that the onslaught, God forgive me, not that I wanted them to receive it, but in a way, I've heard people say they were glad England lost because it, ha it, it kind of highlighted the, the issues that people had been talking about. Because if they won, it would be like, oh, diversity, England this, England that. But the onslaught that came afterwards properly highlighted the reasons why players had been, um, had been kneeling. And also, um, I remember at question time, Boris Johnson argued that he um, he basically um, says the government made it absolutely clear that nobody should be winning the England team, which is absolutely false because Boris Johnson literally refused to condemn the fans winning 
when they good, yeah. Yeah. So the government totally got it wrong. They encouraged it. As Tyra Ming said, they stuck the flame and then they were surprised at the outcome afterwards. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to talk about that. There's a really good article in um, The Spectator, surprisingly as well, by Isabella Hardman, where she's talked about, uh, where she pretty much titled how did the tourists get this so wrong? Um, it's funny they talk about it, they pretty much all talks about it being gesture politics and symbolic and everything, but I'm so sorry, everything I know about this country is very symbolic. From the poppy wearing to the statues they tend to protect, it's all gesture politics and gestures have been used to respect, to show respect and to symbolize something. So how can you then say it's just gesture politics? Well, that's my view. Do you guys have anything to say about that? Ali, you go first. I was going to say you should go first. Um, <clears throat> as much as I would like to believe that Stephen Baker and Isabel Hardman are right, the government hasn't actually got it wrong, right? They haven't got it wrong. They've, they've got it wrong insofar as those of us who have always known they're wrong have been proven right that they're wrong. But they haven't got it wrong in the eyes of the people that matter. They haven't got it wrong in the eyes of the people that matter. Now, that base is still racist. Exactly. There are there are two camps. There are two camps of people that they've got it right in front of. The first camp of people are the people that we all saw leaving messages on um, the players' Instagrams and Twitter and Facebook, yada yada yada, calling them all sorts of names. Right. That group of people, they will never ever ever like. They will, they will be outward with their racism. Um, their minds won't be changed on anything. The second camp of people are the people who would look at the situation and go, oh, the, the overt racism and using of the words and using of the slurs and using of the monkey images, that one is wrong. However, we still agree that it's gesture politics. So while we disagree with um, these overt racists, we still agree that it's gesture politics and it has no place in football. It has no place in wider society. But then that brings up the, the, the points that you made about gesture politics. Like this whole country is just, most countries, most countries are founded on gesture politics, right? I tweeted a thing out today about, um, I'm now starting to understand why right-wing people are, are like ridiculously obsessed with buildings. It's because architecture and statues throws you back to an age of dominance, right? You can tie it to a history of being powerful. The grander the architecture, the paler the building in the case of the UK, the redder the brick, you know, the, the, more, uh, the more sort of um, uh, weather, weather beaten the, the statue is, the greater, the greater that thing is, right? And when you have no actual, real life, tangible thing that you can hang your hat on and say, we're moving forward as a country, we own a prominent place in the world where we're doing a lot of positive, then the next best thing is to hang on to your architecture, to hang on to your, uh, your statues and, and to say, oh yeah, look, see, we were once great, we can be great again. And yeah. This, this government has shown us time and time again that the only thing they need to do is wait. They, they, have, they have, if nothing else, you can admire their saintly patience, right? Because they will wait out any single storm 
because they know that the actual people that they care about, eventually that second camp of people will say, okay, fine. Yes, we were disgusted by the overt racism, but come on, this whole thing about the black players has gone on for too long now. Let's move on. Let's move on to something more important, whatever that means, right? Let's move on to something more important. The first camp, they're just going to be like, yeah, you know, the government is just saying this because they need to, they need to look good and they need to, you know, they need to be seen to not be racist, blah, 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 blah. So we know that they're just, we know that it's just lip service being paid by the government. So I, I genuinely don't think that they've got it wrong. In I, Okay, let me rephrase that. I genuinely don't think that they think they've got it wrong. I genuinely don't think that the base of people they're playing to think they've got it wrong. Because if I'm, I'm, just, I'm almost certain if YouGov were to, were to do a poll today, you would still get roughly the same numbers of people saying, we don't want to see people kneeling at football games. Because, you know, it's the same thing that, that um, uh, the same uh, polling groups that came out and said, we don't want to see British athletes kneeling at the Olympics. You know, you listen to LBC and you listen to, to Sheila Fogarty or whatever her name is. She was doing an interview with some guy, or not an interview, a, a phone in with some guy. And the guy was talking about how he just didn't understand how Pretty Patel, being a person of colour, didn't see what she was doing wrong and you know he he didn't think that Priti Patel had done anything to 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 benefit people of color and her response was well you know she's a black person and she doesn't I'm uh, sorry she's a she's a person of color and just because she doesn't think that certain things are racist you can't force her to believe what you believe and you know share the same opinions as you as if as if right this is about opinions and not about actual real life as if this isn't about the, the sort of daily lives of people who have to bear the brunt of racism because they feel more empowered by politicians and leaders who give them a wink-wink, a nudge-nudge, and a, and a little um, dog whistle here and there. Yeah, Kifala, I don't know what you think. I agree with you, to be honest. Uh, it's for a wrong uh, not a wrong but a weird but i feel like similar parallel is the nigerian thing where they always say buhari supporters aren't on twitter so because we think that we're shouting and we're making a difference by tweeting aggressively and talking a lot it doesn't actually really mean it changes anything because at the end of the day the base and the people that they're shouting for it's the same thing with ukip and like when they speak they're not necessarily speaking to the people that are going to be outraged and shout and like they're speaking for the people that the ones that won't say anything will pretend to be outraged but actually agree with them and will vote for them anyways in, in silence and secretly and the ones that will talk and be like yes you're right and will back them fully they don't really care like outrage politics is all well and good but it generally doesn't do any i don't the older i've gotten the less important i see it as because you get annoyed and the new cycle rolls on and then there's something else for you to be annoyed about next week like at the end of the day um what do they call it pretty patel has bevel that was what two weeks ago this week we had um comments uh giving his listening nobody has Nobody's, nobody remembers what we're talking about. Nobody remembers all the nonsense they were doing in the past anyways. So it's generally just, uh, it's annoying, but at this point, I 
especially with how poor an opposition uh, labor are at the moment, Jerry, the conservatives are basically just, they're well-built, well-oiled machine when it comes to galvanizing their base and getting their message across. And even when they do mess up, it's really, really irritating. Even when they do mess up, they generally fix it eventually. And then people forget that, oh, if they fixed it earlier and when people actually talked about it, problems would have been solved. Because Boris cancelled the players coming to number 10 and nobody said anything. Because it doesn't even really matter at that point. No, so the, did, you hear, did you hear what happened with that? Apparently the players themselves said they didn't want to go. But you see, this is, this is the other problem. This is actually, this actually, this actually nails your point on the head because what you said was um you know they're not they're not playing to the outrage politics part they're playing to their little base and we move on from the issue because of the fact that they are a well-oiled machine if if gary southgate and the team the minute they had rejected that put out a statement to say we've rejected going to number 10 people like you who are smart who are in the know would would have immediately as soon as Boris Johnson came out and said we're cancelling the the trip would have been like didn't they cancel on you? It's like that that Steph Curry yeah. that Warriors yeah. and Trump thing of being like you mm -hmm. bum they they didn't they didn't want to show up in the first place right? Just announced but, is yeah is right, the, basically the the England FA didn't didn't come out and say it quickly enough. Um, do you know something something that really made me laugh actually was um, Nigel Farage was on GB News or GBBs. Um, and do you know what this guy said? He said, if Gareth South, if Twitter had been around when Gareth Southgate miss, missed his penalty in 1996, that he would have gotten the same response. And this is exactly what that second group of people are going to put their hats on. They're going to say, oh, but it, is it really a race thing? Because if you think about it, they miss penalties. And so that's where the real outrage should be. Like, that's where the anger is. That's where people are, you know, really, that's what people are really angry about. And it's only a small population of people well, who have done the racist thing. They tried to even deflect it. They came out and said, or oh, that they found that it was many coming from foreign, um, coming from- Exactly. I was just like, when, like, what? Like, when does this country ever take responsibility for the people that live here? But anyway, um, yeah, um, I think you're both right. I agree with you. And it's something I'm learning every day as I use Twitter. Like before, I remember, like I used to be so um, enraged. Like you used to like walk me up so much. Now I'm just like, when something walks me up and they're like maybe trolling someone or anything, I'm just like, come you shut your Twitter. Come back in 24 hours. It will be gone. Or change your location. And now I live a more peaceful life. I like know how to navigate the whole thing now. So it's like a good thing. I think final question on this. There's this whole new debate, which I don't understand whether you're saying, oh, footballers should stay out of politics. And to me, it's like they pay tax. This is a democratically elected country. Um, yeah, they are entitled. How can you tell? So are you saying a certain profession should stay out of politics? Does that mean engineers should stay out of football? Like, where is, like, I know, I think I know what you guys think about it, but I just thought we just- okay, I'll let you have this one first. <laughs> and it's, but that's always been the, this thing. It, it's, <laughs> it's funny because this is something that I feel was semi-imported from America. Because American politicians love to say that, especially because 
I feel like the athletes are, especially in like the NBA, which is predominantly black, they're a lot more socially conscious because they live through it and they grow. England have a different problem in the fact that black people are still very much the minority, even in football and the like. It's genuine, and you still see the problems when they speak about it. And when they describe players, black players are always known as having pace and power, while the white players are, always, are the ones that are described as intelligent and able to do smart things. It's, it's funny, but so generally when they do the, oh, shut up and dribble, now it doesn't really matter because the only time that's a problem is when the players actually do just shut up and dribble. So long as you don't shut up and dribble, it doesn't really matter what a politician is telling you or me to do. The biggest, one of the biggest issues in British sport, minus the fact that um, generally the cost to entry and the institutional racism around the country in itself prevents people of color from actually being able to enter fully is the fact that they don't use their voices enough. That's about it. And that has nothing to do with shutting up and dribbling. It's just sadly, I guess a culture thing of you'd rather be quiet when someone is rude to you than tell them now nah, you are rude, which is always seen as like the British thing of being polite and being right. So yeah, it's just, I, I don't, I, I don't see it as anything anymore. It's very much a, <laughs> say what you want to say. Say la vie. The, the doctor that's going to vote, the footballer that's going to vote, like, and we, I feel like we've also started seeing it a little bit more with things like Marcus Rashford, for example, and the U-turn with the school meals, Tyrone Minks speaking up. The longer things like this go on and with the proliferation of social media as a whole and how deeply ingrained it is in our society generally, more people's voices are carrying further and they're having a lot more weight. So because of that, and generally for that reason in itself, someone saying shut up and dribble, it just doesn't carry as much power as it used to. So there, there, there are two things I think about this, right? Um, the first one is, I think absolutely, right, every footballer should stay out of politics. Absolutely, every footballer should stay out of politics on one condition every other person stays out of football, right? If that's the gate, if that's, if that's how you want to do it, let's do it that way. Like, let's, let's all be mad together. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's all be mad together. You, you as a politician, you are not allowed to comment on a football game, right? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Piers, uh, Piers Morgan. You're not allowed to say anything about Arsenal. You're not allowed to tweet about Arsenal. If you think footballers is out of politics, don't say anything about Arsenal, right? Yes, they're your club, but you don't play for them, right? So stay out of it. And even, even beyond that, this idea that, you know, they should be allowed to, to say anything because they're, they're, they're taxpayers. I'm sorry, but like 16-year-old kids have opinions on things, right? And we don't tell them to shut up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We don't yeah. tell them to shut up because they don't pay tax, right? They're mooches. Yes, of course, they're mooches. But we don't tell those mooches to shut up. It's this, it's this very arrogant thing. It's this very arrogant thing of claiming ownership of someone else's body, right? It's this thing of seeing people who, who play sports as purely being there for the purposes of entertainment 
and nothing else. They're not supposed to have any intellectual rigor. They're not supposed to have any intellectual robustness. They're not supposed to have any personality beyond the personality that we deem fit for them, right? So this is why you see the whole thing of, oh, if a white footballer splurges on his mum's house, it's like, you expect that. You expect that because this white footballer's come from nothing and he's now looking to take care of his mum. If it's a black player, it's like, we expect black people to be humble and to be grateful for the opportunity to have any wealth. So why would they go out and splurge money on their parents' home, right? And then the second thing is, it's, it's tied in a lot to what you said, Akin Ferrari, about the, the proliferation of social media, the fact that American sports has always been so greatly intertwined with politics, you know? Um, we, we all know, we all know from the likes of Jim Brown to Muhammad Ali, um, the conversations around Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan, when you compare those guys uh, to, to the sort of predecessors, and you look at LeBron, you look at D-Wade, you look at Chris Bosh, um, talking about Black Lives Matter, the UK just has not had that. And I, I think I hadn't really considered the cultural element of it previously, um, which that makes a lot of sense. You know, there's the cultural thing of, you know, you, you slap me and I turn the other cheek. I think the other thing is that comparatively, as you said as well, black people in the UK have not had the level of hypervisibility within the wider country that black athletes in America have. That's just the truth, right? The population, the population of black people in America is hypervisible in culture, it's hypervisible in in sports, it's hyper-visible. Yes, okay, it's not as hyper-visible as we would like it to be in, in, in um, media and movies, but you look at music, you look at fashion, you look at um, a lot of things, and pe Black people are hyper-visible, right? In the UK, it's just not the case. It's just not the case. The hyper-visibility and the, and the lack of history of being involved in these things, I think, um, has played a significant role. But I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely see the wind turning. The reason is, right, if we, if we, if we ignore everything pre-2020, when we started seeing black players walk off football pitches and say, I'm not playing anymore, right, during racist incidents, it was a very jarring thing because no one else is in the stadium with them. Even the people in the stadium with them don't know what's going on because they're not on the pitch, right? And all of a sudden you see a player from your team decide they're going down the tunnel and all of their teammates chase them down the tunnel. The referee is looking confused. The linesmen are looking confused. The coach from the other team is looking confused. The other team is looking confused. And you're going to sit there in the stands like, what on earth is going on? And when it's a black person, you're, after the first couple, everyone, everyone's mind just goes, shit, a racist comment has been made. Right? And that started to drive home. That, that started to make it, you know, physically real for people they could see the reaction they could see the response they could see the effect of racism in football right in front of them there was no escaping it right there was no thing of oh i i must have missed it um maybe the the cameras cut away yada 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 because now the game is live on twitter even if it's you know it's live on sky and it's live on twitter everybody is seeing what's going on and then we move towards the sort of 2020 mobilization and you start to realize that the, th the thing that you said about the three major sports in the UK, rugby, football, cricket, right? That, that is where the, the sort of real action is happening. And also in F1, 
So you've got in football, you've got most prominent names at the moment, obviously, Tyron Mings and Marcus Rashford. You look at rugby, you've got Mario Toje. Mario Toje was doing for kids access to internet and laptops what Mar Marcus Rashford was doing for food, right? Mario Toje is arguably the most prominent black rugby player in the UK. And there are a number of prominent black players in the UK. You look at um, uh, a Fijian, uh, son of a Fijian uh, ex-soldier in Joe Kokonasinga, who's um, a rugby player. His dad was denied... Um, was denied indefinite leave to remain and was removed from the UK. And Joe Kokonathinga and all the other black players, who he himself isn't black, but black players were rallying behind him and saying, hey, yo, this needs to stop because this seems to be only happening to, to people of colour. Then you look at cricket, Joffre Archer is the black player in England, right? He, he has the most prominent voice. He talks about the racist abuse that he gets. And then you look at Lewis Hamilton, who just will not back down, right? And so what you have is these people are backing each other up. They are constantly in each other's ear, constantly in each other's social media spaces, lending support to each other in such a way that if you're an F1 fan and you're not a football fan, right, the minute Lewis Hamilton tweets about what happened to Marcus Rashford, now you're tuned in to what happened, right? The minute Mario Toje or one of the other black rugby players, you look at Paolo Dobu, you look at um, um, uh, Oli Lawrence, you look at all these players, they tweet out and they share on their Instagram, hey, this is what happened in football. Look at me hanging out with Marcus Rashford last month. All of a sudden, it becomes a thing. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 starts to, it starts to reach out to different sporting arenas. And I think that's how this thing has to go. That's how this thing has to go. There has to be a support network for each other because previously, only one player would speak up. And then, you know, the white backlash or the white lash would turn around and say, oh, well, it only happened to you, mate. It only happened to you. And then other black players would be too scared and say, I've never experienced it. It's never happened to me. And all of a sudden, you're now not inclined to come out and say anything because you know that it's happened to that player, but that player has come out in the middle of everyone and said, it's never happened to me. So now you're up the proverbial creek. But what you see now is the solidarity going across different sports and going across different industries of people saying, hey, look, you are not on your own. I don't know what you're going through in this particular instance, but I'll be damned if you're going to go through it alone. I'm going to lend my support. I'm going to lend my voice to you, which I think is actually how the Titans, because, you know, back in the day, it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It was um, uh, uh, Bill Russell on the NBA front. You had uh, Jim Brown on the NFL front. You had, uh, what's the name of this um, uh, famous black, uh, not Babe, was it Babe Ruth? No, it wasn't Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth was white. Um, I forget his name, Jackie, Jackie That's something or other. 42, Say? number 42, Jackie Robinson. Yeah, exactly, Jackie Robinson, exactly. And they were all propping each other up at the same time. And that's how that thing gained traction. Because when they first started, they were very much isolated. They were on their own. And then they started joining forces together and the tide started to turn. So I think, that's really what's got to happen. Like these players have to have each other's backs and they need to be supported by the musicians. They need to be supported by the artists. They need to be supported by, by, um, by the actors. You know, the, the photographer, Mr. Harriman, is always tweeting about this stuff. He's always lauding this stuff because he understands the value of lending his voice to these people in their spaces and using his voice to promote their voice in his spaces. Well, Miss Anne is probably the best connection between all of them because he's, at, he's actually friends with Megan, actually. Yeah. Megan. Exactly. He's actually the one. He actually, he's actually been very powerful over the last year. Oh, Shout God, out. yeah. Um, okay. 
So yeah. All right. Sorry. Quickly. Shout out. Shout out, Miss Anne Harriman. Miss Anne, if you're listening to this, um, I love you very much. Your photography inspires me. We'll get to him somehow. (laughs) Um, No. Fine. Um. Yeah. I was going to talk briefly about Boris and um, my boy Rishi. Rishi. Um, getting pinged after Saji Javid. Um, you know. The new health secretary. Yeah, the new health secretary Saji Javid tested positive to coronavirus, and Boris and Rish Magai thought they could escape self isolation, and they said said they were going to be doing the test piloting scheme where they will not have to self isolate. I mean, they released the statement at eight o'clock, about eight thirty a.m. And I remember putting on my um, conversations with Kumi. Um, Instagram story, I was like, yeah, just just give it a couple of minutes. They're going to retract that statement. It was so obvious. It was like the dumbest thing to ever do. And less than two hours after, um, they obviously retracted and are self-isolating. Um, oh, sorry, for me, this is, this is where, you're, this is where I come back to the fact that we're wrong to assume that they've got it wrong, right? I can't remember. No. They did. no, Ade, let me tell you why I think. I I definitely know what you're about to say, but they got it wrong there. I can't remember who tweeted. I think it might be, um, what's that guy? Uh, Timothy Montgomery. I don't know. Oh, who. Tim Montgomery. Yeah, I know Tim Montgomery. He <laughs> tweeted something like, oh, for the first time we have Remainers, Leavers, Left, Right, Twitter, Reunite to get this stupid people. Or something like that. He tweeted something like that. And I just, I was like, I, I laughed. But yeah. No, there was people were like, no, people did not find the reason that. why they got you wrong is because people have been locked down for a year. Exactly, you can't do that. And then they even, got wrong. And I'm sorry, seen, even then, even then, right? no, 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 no. But the thing is, we've seen all kinds of random, flagrant examples of corruption, right? And that's all well and good. Everybody is even willing to go, okay, you gave your friend a contract, you know, because generally the biggest one of the biggest problems with Britain as a whole is everybody feels like oh, this might be someone where I'll get to eventually. The person earning 18K won't vote for Corbyn because he feels like if Corbyn is still in power the day I'm earning 80, then he'll be taxing me more, even though right now it doesn't affect my life. And that's well and good. But the general thing is because of that, it's all, it becomes a distance. But then when suddenly you're in contact with someone who apparently has COVID and then you put yourself on a study, so, so it means you can continue going about your daily life like normal when you've told everybody else if you do not do this the police are coming to your house and they're going to fine you it's wild it's a very very distant i don't i don't there's a general plane to the base and others are but your the base that they're playing to have had to do all of this they get pinged no, 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 I, I hear you i hear you right i think i think i Okay, well, let me rephrase. I don't. I don't think they got it completely wrong. The reason I say completely, as opposed, to like when I when I re rephrase my statement, I say completely wrong, is because there are literally people defending them and saying, "Oh, but their jobs are too important for them not to be outside," even though they can do their jobs from inside. Do you know what I mean? Like they can yeah, do their jobs inside. I mean, people think, but their jobs are too important for them to be inside. I feel like the BBC generally proved was that you can always find someone to take the second side of an argument oh yes it's foolish so i don't i don't even see that as a valid thing if you come up tomorrow and say oh i might mind a mad axe murderer is is a bad idea (laughs) nope it's fantastic actually you learn because when you're in the woods you have someone who can wield an axe (laughs) like so 
at that general this thing, it made those people look even dafter because it just proved it, it basically kind of proved the it reminds me of when the YouTubers did the um this thing, the joke on with the royal correspondence and Megan. Oh yes. So they created a fault they created a fake story and they had them come on and discuss it. And they all came on and they discussed it in length over something they had never heard about and yeah. hadn't read up or researched about and they talked nonsense <laughs> for a full 20 30 minutes and it was like okay well fair enough so you can't you, those idiots are always going to exist so i don't see that as a validation for that story. Yeah. the validation is the fact that usually when they retract these things it takes two or three days our mm. literally over, like I saw the news of both at the same time. I saw it was, when, it was and, like forty-five minutes max. Yeah, I saw, I saw when, I saw when they said and um, this thing. Woken up to the breaking news that they were not going to come back today. Like, I remember I was going to, uh, I was going to church. I woke up and saw the news, and I know that before I go on the tube, they had retracted this, and I was laughing, and I found it funny. But hey, my guy, Rish, Rish, Rish. And Boris. I don't know why you people like this guy. I actually don't know. That's how you I like him. I just said my guy. Nobody likes him more. Very short. I don't know. I'm sad. I actually really, I'm more, um, what's the word? Um, I don't want to say soft spots because I don't know him. I don't have a soft spot for him at all. I no, think not Rich. Not Rich. Not oh, soft okay. spots. Um, for Saji Javid, I don't know what is it about him that I like. Ah. I just, that, yeah, like, I just think he's a. No guy. No, it's not. <laughs> anyway, <coughs> the max you can say is he's more straightforward than the rest of them, but that's about it. Even that one self, he gets as he be. Anyway, okay. So the moment we're waiting. So yesterday's Tuesday, the twentieth of July. Um, Dominic Cummings um gave an interview to the BBC. Laura Kunzberg, his favorite person ever. Um, a very very bad interviewer. People thought she was actually really good for Larry. She was nasty. And I mean, fair enough. She, I kinda, as as she wasn't good or nasty. She wasn't either. good at all. People thought she was good. But I mean, I get I get why because what? I knew I said people thought she was a very good interviewer because I was remembering uh, I remember someone tweeting who doesn't follow UK policy like oh he re- she really grilled him properly and me just knowing the whole backstory about yeah, I know the questions and he was looking stuff to her for years it's sorry not- guys I dropped out I dropped out it's okay yeah um we're talking about um um how he leaked stuff to her so we're talking about the Dominic Cummings interview and Laura oh. <laughs> I said she's a horrible interviewer, and Kumi said people thought she was good. I, I mean, I don't think she was terrible last night. I don't think she was. She actually thought like she looked like she was. She really pushed good. back. She back. didn't. She didn't. Um, she didn't. There's a general. There's a skill to interviewing, right? So mm-hmm. when you're, you're when you're talking to the person, you should have uh, an endpoint that you're trying to get to. So you're asking mm-hmm. questions to tease responses that you can basically pull back and say okay you said this but that doesn't matter what you said before and using the use that to basically elicit the complete truth mm-hmm. watching that interview Cummins was in complete control he wasn't uncomfortable at all there was no oh this or now the most that she did that you could say was great was the fact that she let her own outrage show about mm-hmm. oh, that's wild 
oh this that, mm-hmm. that. that but that isn't that i don't care about her outrage that's not my real business i wasn't watching it for that i was mm-hmm. watching to try and get to the truth of matters he was allowed to say whatever he wanted however he wanted there's a point where the man was smirking she didn't even ask him what all she said was oh but you're smiling i won't say you're smiling i was like do you think this is a good look like it's a very very mm-hmm. social like it was anyways yeah we move on but <laughs> there's no real point haggling about whether or not she was great or not because i don't think that's the meat of i it. mean that's 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 but, that's that's the segue they want us to talk about yeah but you could have replaced her with almost anybody else and i don't think james o'brien it would have been if you got in james o'brien that would have been a difficult interview for example because that's someone who's really good at it and smart and also but, really has like a personal beef and no personal relationship with him exactly that's the other thing the personal relationship the personal relationship angle is something that people always forget. The re- like, it hit me. I was listening to um, uh, Jesus and Mera, and they were like, all the people that write in to complain to us about not being hard-hitting journalists when people come on our show, do they not realize that we want to have those people back on our show? And yep. that's just what the personal relationship is. Yep. Like, Laura Koonsberg has benefited off that personal relationship. So, of course, it's not going to be tough on him. Yeah, but I mean, he's, what do they call it? He's spoiled good. So his yeah, yeah. whole interview was basically come get me to whoever wants yeah. um, to either create an opposition party eventually or during, it's, it's basically I'm not for Boris. It's not a, it's, it, was basically, it sounded like a, I'm not for Boris anymore, but mm-hmm. I'm around. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I don't think that he's ever going to ever be led to be close to a conservative MP ever um, I don't think it was for conservatives. That's my point. Oh, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. The conservative did not like him. And it was his belief camp and whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And another thing I saw this morning, I was just walking past. I went to do a bit of food shopping this morning. And I saw Sarah Vine, Michael Gove's wife. Oh, yeah, they're divorced now. That's another thing mm-hmm. that happened. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't want to cut. We're not. We're not. We're not talking. We're not talking about what people in Whitehall are talking about. So exactly. We're not gonna, yeah, we're going to not talk about that on this thing because. I will not be, anyway, Sarah Vine Rose um, wrote something like, um, what has happened to my old friend? Um, it was vic- um, vindictive, da, 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 da. And I'm just like, this Sarah Vine, anyway, you move Coming from power. you. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just realized she moved where power is. I mean, you fell out with the camera, now you want to fall out with this one, all because you, anyway, that's not my business. But yeah, my point was, Dominic Cumming is, I just don't see him ever being allowed around a Tory prime minister ever again. So he should go look for his opposition power. But anyway, now let's move to the contents of the well, game. things like that are funny because the prime minister has a lot of power. If he becomes friends with someone who becomes prime minister, they can't really stop. No, no, you are right. You are no, you're yeah. definitely right. But I just do not think that the 19, 1922 committee are going to ever let him near the conservative party again because he wasn't even a member of the conservative party. Nope, he was not. Um. So yeah, moving into the content or to the content of what he was saying. Um, the first bit that got me really um, choked up, and I was like, I would have thought the royal correspondents who don't have work would have picked up on that. That Boris wants to put the Queen, Her Majesty the Queen, at risk of. in the first two minutes. What did you say? I said, he said that thing in like the first two or three minutes. Like, yeah. I was like, oh. And I was surprised to see none of the royal correspondents picked up on that, but obviously they're busy dealing with Harry and his memoir coming out next year. That's actually probably the only thing that could have ruined the Conservative Party. Literally, they if your, premier, if your premier was the one who basically was the last person to see the Queen before she caught COVID and then suddenly died. Um, 
that would ruin the, the actually the way it. the way the royal household would have pulled up at Westminster. You see Prince Philip with a blicky out. <laughs> Prince Prince Charles would be tackling people. You killed my mother. <laughs> but yeah, that was one of the first things. The fact that he needed to be told that that's not something you should do is actually well. And I mean, it, it, the funniest part about it is that was one of the most believable parts of, uh, of the whole history because he jived with everything he was doing at that time. Yes. Because he was running around COVID wards, shaking people's hands without a mask and going, oh, is it okay? And we're trying to go and, and attempting to go for a herd immunity, this thing that is just like a cold. Nothing really happens like that. You are not necessarily at, at risk like that, like that. So it literally jives with everything that he was doing at the time. It's, the bad behavior is just incredible when you think about it. He really wanted to go and see the queen. Um, yeah, that was very... The guy thought he was Oliver Cromwell. <laughs> um, yeah, what was the other shocking bit you guys found? I'll let you guys speak on that. Um, oh, he wanted to stage a coup in Westminster, I mean, Whitehall. I mean, Dominic Cummings. I, I, I honestly believe one of the biggest, my biggest takeaway from that whole this thing is he also generally kinney because the thing is with boris has been around for way too long we all know boris is a bit of a moron but boris is actually smart as well like that's the problem boris he's a moron when it comes to is is when they, it's the same way they say oh uh, emotional intelligence street mm-hmm. smart like there's aspects of boris's personality where he's a complete total doofus but he isn't he isn't as dumb as he's not dumb. Yeah, people think he's a lot stupider than he is, he's and not. he isn't. He's so, not. and that is part of his whole shtick. And the one thing I actually realized is the fact that Cummings has actually bought that thing a little bit too much, and I feel like he overstated his power because of that. Yeah, because I saw people like literally everybody, even people that hated Boris, is like, who the hell does he think he is? Like, do you think you're some sort of kingmaker? Like the way Boris did win the, ma- the mayoral election in London, mm-hmm. are you so? Twice. Who are you really? Um, that was an interesting point to note. Um, are you still here? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still here. Okay, sorry, I thought it dropped off. Um, no. For me, anyway, personally, um, <laughs> the biggest revelation of the bit I, I just, I found so funny was that Dominic Cummings thought he could beat Carrie as her game. Man! No! Excuse my French for one second. Dominic Cummings, you're not sucking Boris's dick. Like, how hey, is he sucking Boris's Wow. Wow. The other truth is, I don't see like... with the violence. <laughs> <laughs> literally, I literally, I think I even tweeted it out. I'm like, how did you think you were going to beat her again? I'm actually Harry, tweeting Harry that out right Murray. now. Harry from Warwick. That baby's very. <laughs> You know, you know what the irony, you know what the irony of the Warwick thing is? The irony of the Warwick thing is when he was saying all of this yesterday, the only name, the only name that came to my mind, right, was Richard Neville. So Richard Neville. I think he just dropped off. Yeah, he did. But yeah, I just found that bit very funny. He thought it was going to be Carrie. Like, he thought 
oh, Boris should listen to me instead of his girlfriend or now his wife to be. He reminds me. Who of- was um, the Earl of Warwick? And oh, yeah, back. can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, back now. Oh, I call her Carrie of Warwick because she went to Warwick, not because she's actually from Warwickshire. Yeah. Okay. Hello, are you there? Sorry, guys, technical difficulties. But yeah, that's the bit I found very, excuse my French, but like, I just thought, of course he's going to listen to his wife before you. Yeah, it was very, very interesting. It was very what stupid. I found funny was, well, I didn't find it funny. I it was, I found it very believable because it was very much one of those things. The fact that he didn't even believe in Brexit, but he just did it anyways. It spoke oh, to the uh, comments. Dominic comments. I mean, we knew Boris didn't believe in it regardless. But when, different articles now. Yeah. Boris, Boris, Sorry, I'm back. Boris was on the side of the which can get me power. But yeah. the fact that comments pushed vote leave, but he didn't even believe. You could tell he didn't believe in it at all when he was talking. That he did not believe in Brexit at all. Because he literally had to add a caveat at the end as by, oh, I think Brexit was a good thing and we'll find that out eventually. That literally means you don't think it's a good thing right now. Yeah. So... Um, at that point, it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so, sorry, the thing I was, I was trying to say was, um, when you said, Kumi, when you said um, Carrie from Warwick, oh, all I, I could think of... Sorry, I was, before you jump on what I was saying, is like, I said Carrie of Warwick because she went to Warwick, not because she's actually from Warwickshire. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, that's what I... Yeah, I knew, I knew you meant university. So um, I was thinking of um, Richard Neville, who was the Earl of Warwick, who was known as the Kingmaker during the War of the Roses, only for him to just get knifed in a random battlefield somewhere. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what Dominic Cummings thought he was. And I was like, this guy is... This guy is... Sorry? He, he, no, you're right. He legit yeah. he, he, thought, he thought he was the Kingmaker. But the irony for me, the, the, the sweet irony that a guy as smart as he is and let's not like let's not play down how smart the guy is, right? A guy as smart as he is didn't realize that every single other kingmaker in the history of kingmakers ends up getting killed. Like they end up getting killed. It's what happens because they one day they bet on the right horse. That right horse gets run over by someone's horse by mistake in the battlefield, and then you're standing there, you know, nothing to do, and the person who you didn't bet for goes, "Oh, right." I see your horse is dead, so you're up next. Right? I don't even think he's necessarily a kingmaker. But I think he's no, he's not. Text that his um, actual power couldn't really was writing exactly, exactly. I'm saying, I'm saying that he believes he believes himself to be a kingmaker, but he, in reality, he's not. Like in reality, he's not. He's he's a great opportunist, right? He's it's like um, it's like um, maybe I'm in Kawikumi and she's turning left, and I tell her turn left. So she turns left. And mm-hmm. because she turned left, it, I was the one who ordered her to do it. So now mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, she's running my errands. Mm-hmm. This so it literally just like uh, Boris will ask for his opinion. He'll give Boris a few options that Boris probably had already thought, okay, I have maybe two people that I'm thinking for this role. Comments to drop one of them. Boris will be like, okay, well, fair enough. He he seems good enough. You know, I've gotten, I've gotten a second or a third. And the thing with when people ask for your opinion a lot, they also ask a lot of other people. And mm-hmm. people tend to forget that they always think, "Oh, you're yeah, the only person who I'm asking," but not really. And a lot of the time, when people ask for opinions, they ask him because they want you to say what they want. They to already what they listen to. Yeah, it's yeah. very much a, it's very much a kinney bias. I, 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 I like uh, positivity bias a lot. You know, yes, what I want to hear, and I yes. will do with it all the time. You'll be like, "Ah, perfect." 
you know, I, I, I want to drink Coke today, even though I'm supposed to not be drinking it. Tell me, drink it. Don't worry. I'll go and buy my can of Coke. Yeah. One. Like, that's literally, that's literally all it seemed like. But it literally just yeah. felt like, okay, he, he, he got there. Boys did the yeah my guy you you got us you got us the vote leave that mm-hmm. one is very very obvious he he's the reason why they won that campaign even though they won it because they cheated but that we don't even need to argue about that one anymore it's gone it's gone but he's the reason why they did it they came but they did ah no hold on wait so here's here's my thing here's my thing about Dominic Cummings right he is more like Machiavelli than the Prince Machiavelli writes about right because Machiavelli was just a random opportunist. He was very good at being an opportunist. He himself did not have the characteristics that he wrote about. And Dominic Cummings truly believes, right? He truly believes that he has the characteristics of the of Prince, when in fact he's just Machiavelli. He is basically, he is a more opportunistic Alistair Campbell. He's just a more opportunistic Alistair Campbell without the writing skills or the people or the kind of interpersonal skills. That's what that's yeah, what he and is where being let Alistair, Alistair, right? Alistair, 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 Alistair Campbell catch you compare. Let's Alistair, Alistair Campbell come and fight me. Alistair, I'll send you my address. Campbell is just more like he has more finesse. Alistair Campbell has more finesse, right? And for me, for me, the thing the other thing about Dominic Cummings is the fact that he it, this is the other similarity between him and Alistair Campbell. They both knew their principles, right? They both knew their principles. Alistair Campbell knew Tony Blair's personality down to a T. So even when we can say, oh, Alistair Campbell wasn't controlling Tony Blair, maybe one in every 20 days, Alistair Campbell would, would hit the right spot and know this is the perfect time that I can control him and he would take the opportunity. Whereas with Dominic Cummings, Dominic Cummings thought every day was Good Friday. Like he thought every day was Christmas and that he could exploit Boris Johnson every day. And yes, he knew his principle very well, but he also mistimed his opportunities to take advantage of his principle and to wield his principle to his own, like, um, his own agenda better. That's why he's able to say, oh, you know, he had his thing, I had my thing, and I thought, why would I bother doing his thing? Because in his mind, he was like, yeah, because I'm used to doing my own thing, and I tell Boris I'm doing my own thing, and yeah, Boris lets me do yeah. my own thing. It's that, it's that sort of self-conceit, that arrogance. And this is why I said yesterday, for the first time, for the first time, I actually respected Dominic Cummings. Because he showed, maybe in, in part only in words, in part in his body language, he showed that he's an arrogant rat, right? He showed us that. And he was like, mm-hmm. I, have no, I have no compunction about showing you that, either through my words or through my body language. That's why he was smirking, because he was like, mm. when, when um, Laura Kunzberg went off on that massive tirade and his response was, I'm sorry, is there a question in that? Mm-hmm. Be- because he knew there was, no, like, there was no possibility of there being a question in that. What's the question going to be? Aren't you self-confident? And go, yes, I'm self-confident. Like, there was never going to be any question in that statement. And when I say tirade, I don't mean that in a derogatory term. I mean, that's what he saw it as. Like, in his mind, she's just going off on one and she's not asking me a question because, hey, there's no bloody question to be asked. Yeah, right. not care that she just did. That's one thing I believe, that he doesn't care about criticism. No, no, he doesn't. He believes whatever he's done is right and that's all that really matters. Yeah. Other I mean, he's he not first. That's why. That's why he said when um, when uh, she asked him about the figures, the three hundred fifty million pound figures, and he said, 
we used we used the figures, but not misleadingly. We wanted to generate the conversation. And then she asked him about something else. And he said, oh, we did this, but, you know, uh, not misleadingly. We did that, but not misleadingly. We did the other, but not misleadingly. Because in his mind, what he has done, right, the, the, the end justifies the means. The, what do they call it? The other thing you're talking about was his um, Bernard Castle nonsense. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That, no, no, there was actually, make that three. There were three things. Yeah. There, there were three things. things. The other person thing I don't remember. The other one I can't remember, but it was just. Sorry, huh? you said there were two what? There were three. There were three instances where he he talked about where she where she accused oh, him of yes. being was Turkey, Turkey joining the EU. That was it. Turkey joining the, Turkey EU. Joining Thank the you. EU, and then Barnard Castle, and um, three hundred and the, and and the three hundred and fifty million pounds. And you know what? You know what? This is why I said I respect the guy because. He's not wrong, right? He's not wrong when he says to himself, I don't think this is mis- misleading. I'm only doing it to generate the conversation. I don't think I don't think that he believes something different to what he said. I think he genuinely believes I'm not misleading people. I'm using this as a tactic. And as long as it's in politics, I don't it's agree. Fair. I think I maybe- that he was going to join the EU and terrorists are going to be able to come to England, what do they call it? Uh, no, no, no. Which was of course, of course objectively, objectively it's misleading. Objectively, no, it's misleading. Yeah, it's intellectual. It's that's one of those intellectual, intellectually dishonest exactly. where they say, "Oh, well, I didn't really lie, but you basically lied." Exactly, exactly. But in his mind, in his mind, he has already decided that this thing that I'm going to say, this is the effect that I want it to have. This is the effect that it's going to have. So therefore, I'm not misleading them. Do you get what I mean? Like he's already done that intellectual that's um maneuvering and he's decided, okay, this is not going to be misleading because I'm just generating a conversation. But objectively, to the rest of us people, like that shit is just an outright lie. It's just an outright oh it's not an outright lie, it's an, an outright manipulation of facts, right? So for him, that's you know, it's fair game. And the 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 thing that got on my nerves was him trying to use Michael Gove as some arbiter of fairness. And I'm like, really? Really? The wind and the willows frog man? That's who you're using as your arbiter of, of fairness in elections. Um, the whole thing is just a mess. And to be honest, I think, I think what's going to happen to him is going to be the exact same thing that happened to Steve Bannon, which is basically you win big, you lose big, and everyone thinks you're down and out, and then you worm your way back into being mediocre again. That's that's just the truth of it. That's just the truth of it. Um, because he knows, he knows, right, that all the seeds that he's dropped, none of them will actually sprout. The only way anything will come of all the stuff that he said is if there is an actual commission. And that commission is not going to happen this year. Look, that's first of all. And by the time it happens, it's already gone. And he has not allowed he has not never let going out- to happen. Say again. It's never going to happen. Exactly. The have too much to lose. They haven't and- need or will to this thing. The only way it happens is if Labour gets into power magically. And exactly. if Boris is caught on a live recording shooting 15 little children. In the so they have to be 15 white children. Yeah, 15 white children in the middle of the yeah. street. And, one yeah. of them and even then, that's questionable. 
So he, he, needs has, to he has to punch. He has to punch the queen in there. Eighteenth, cutting twelve, uh, twice, twice removed or something like that. Yeah. Oh my God, little Sir Generic. <laughs> yeah, he has to. He has to literally punch the queen and the statue of Churchill at the same time. Long time until Boris decides to go. When Boris leaves, then the Conservatives have and that they have more problems because they don't yes. have anybody with Boris's charisma that can actually yeah. win a general election like that anymore. But you notice, you guys notice how he didn't say anyone's names. Yeah, that's why. That's why he didn't say anyone's names because he knows that the the, the seeds that he's dropping they're just not going to grow. They're just not going to grow. Right? He's saying, "Oh well, they'll come out. They'll come out in in the in the commission." The com he knows the commission is never going to happen. If he wanted the commission to happen. The way he would have been dropping names, the the thing that something that really shocked me was when he said that thing about we had a, a group of us and Laura Kunzberg asked how many. I swear to God, I was expecting him to say max like seven or twelve, and then he said a couple of dozen, and I was just like, a couple of dozen. You guys actually tried because to to get a couple of dozen people into a conspiracy is hard work, man. That's hard work. Um, and for that to happen, and all these Tories, just, that to be honest, I I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't. I wouldn't be surprised, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that makes sense. He might be exaggerating. It it's one of those things where I've been listening to. I don't know if you guys have heard of this podcast. Uh, um, behind the bastards, they they basically dig in deep to. I love it. I, Bro, you, I I podcast on my podcast. Excuse I me. I know, no, no, I know. Sponsor it. <laughs> trust me it's worth it's worth the listen because they go into like the history of these um these like absolutely horrible people through history and they were saying how um how like with people with oh oh i just i literally just forgot my train of thought because i i got all i got all excited <laughs> no sorry what was i even saying um, and how they basically talk about how when things build up. I'm guessing it was it was it was it was something something along the lines of like the conspiracy. I've just forgotten it now, but hopefully I remember it. But it was it was actually quite. Oh no, no, okay, I've got it. So they did one recently about um uh the guy who basically devised the plan to kill um Jewish people, like the Holocaust plan, and they were like when it came to the Nuremberg trials, everyone who worked for this guy basically overhyped how evil the guy was because the guy was already dead right and if they could overhype his actions it means that they were basically just they were basically just pawns in this one wicked guy's game and so this is the whole thing like if 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 dominic cummings can overhype how wicked x y and z people are then it makes him seem a less powerful which in reality he's less powerful than he believes himself to be. No, he. Oh, I'm not sorry. Finish it and then I'll go. But that was what he was trying to do yesterday. Yeah. Less powerful so, than he actually was. Yeah, he 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 is in fact, as we all know, less powerful than he is, but more powerful than people think he is, yeah. right? And so it's this thing of oh, the 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 ship is sinking. What I'm now going to do is say oh. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. It was this person that did this. It was that person that did that. The only names he mentioned are the names that are completely untouchable, right? Nothing's going to happen to them. And he was like, yeah, look, I'm just going to overhype how powerful these people were so that I can get away with all the, all the shit that I've done. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. 
that concludes Dominic and his his madness. Um, you can catch, you can watch it on BBC Two on iPlayer if you haven't watched it. Just don't forget to pay for your TV license. You know, I just thought I'd put in that reminder. Um, so yeah. Um, what else? Oh, uh, just a quick point. Keir Stammer has gone into self-isolation because one of his children tested positive. And then breaking news just after, just before PMQs today, if you don't know what PMQs is, it's Prime Minister Question Time, was five uh, Conservative MPs were, um, have found to breach committee rules and have been set to, um, I think they recommended one day suspension. And that was them interfering in the formal conservative. With yeah. Um, whose wife, whose former wife is now the MP of his former seat, Dover. Um, yeah, they he was jailed in 2017, I believe, for sexual offenses against two members of staff and has been sentenced two years for two years in prison. Uh, those MPs are his former wife, Natalia Help Nicole. Sarah Rogers Gale, Theresa Villas, who I desperately need to lose her seat, um, Adam Holloway and Bob Stewart, who I thought recently was also accused of doing something with children, or am I mixing up the person? Anyway, I, I think you're mixing up. Um, I think you're mixing up. I'm trying to remember who it is. Um, thinking of. Um, no, it's not Bob Stewart. Anyway, they've been recommended. Oh, no, sorry, finish. They've been recommended a one-day suspension for interfering with the cause of justice. Um, yeah, and yeah, uh, Parliament is going on recess this week as well, and I will be taking recess as well till September. But I didn't before before we go, don't forget the uh, the attempt to rewrite the uh, Official Secrets Act to punish oh, journalists for writing stuff that's embarrassing about the government. Yeah, that's, that's where we are now. That's where we are. That's where we are now. That's a big one. And I think there's consultation tomorrow at some point. Um, so you should tune into that. Um, Pretty Patel, I keep saying terms to me. Pretty Patel is literally, I don't know. The worst? Yeah, she's actually the worst. And someone, it just reminded me of what someone said when she first got into office. She's going to do the worst possible damage that yep. Would not have gotten away with it, and then any white person would not have gotten away with it because ironically, know. ironically, this ties into what I was saying earlier on about that podcast. The guy that they did that podcast on, he basically he wanted to prove himself to their leader so bad that he made sure that all the worst things happened. It's it's um as Mona El Gahawi says, um, you know, the foot soldiers of patriarchy. She is a foot soldier. The foot soldier will always commit the worst atrocities so that they can be um, more elevated in the eyes of their leader. Yeah. Um, no, like even from the asylum, the nationality and asylum sicker bill, man, it is scary. She's doing, she's doing pastors and mentors. I mean, she needs to like, yep. check herself. Like this is dangerous territory. I wish you pull it out. Oh, I'm sorry, you thought you couldn't have done it. This way her parents were trying to immigrate. Let's see. If we if we talk, if we talk back and flying, they'll say hmm. Um, yeah, no, you guys really be on the lookout for this retail because she's doing some pretty awful stuff. Like not even things that I Boris would even do. I'm so sorry. Like pretty 
Patel is pretty far right. Like, I don't think people understand how far right she is. Boris isn't a bad person. No, no. Boris is not. Boris is actually a liberal, what you call a liberal. Yeah. Boris is very, very in the middle. Yeah, I think Boris is the closest PM we've had to bless us when it comes to this thing. Yeah, he's Damn near this thing. As Adam Sower, as Adam Sower said, the cruelty is the point. Yeah. The cruelty is the point. That's that's why she's there. She is there. To, she is there to be cruel. That's what she sees her mission as, and she knows that she will always, always, always be able to ride the wave because people will say the cruelty is coming from a brown hand, and so therefore it cannot be deemed racist. Yeah. Um, no. Um, that is appearing to be very true. Did you guys did you guys ever see that question time um thing about um capital punishment capital with Ian Hislop? I saw people in America twisting and they were like, what the hell? Like how did you guys let her become a home secretary? Like we decided who a home secretary is. Okay. <laughs> um yeah, um so yeah, thank you so much. Um Valari and Annie, as always, and for making this season interesting in UK politics. Um, like I said, Parliament is going on recess on Friday, I believe, and I'm also going on recess and taking a break. And I hope you all enjoy your summer break. I don't know that there'll be any breaking. I I wanted to say I hope there's no any big breaking news stories, but there definitely will be, um, considering uh, the coronavirus is still ongoing and we're currently having a pandemic not a pandemic, a pandemic in the UK. Uh, so stay, stay safe. And I think I'll continue to update the conversation with Kumi Instagram page with the latest news. But from me to you, have a wonderful summer holiday. And thank you so much. Palari and Ade. Thank you very much, guys. Enjoy your summer break. Live your best lives. Hydrate a lot because it's going to be hot. <laughs> Enjoy the heat wave in August as well, man. Yeah.